Anybody here like red light, green light? Anybody here know how to play that game? A couple of you. All right. I need someone that actually knows how to play it, like can explain the rules to me. Can any of y'all explain the rules to me that are willing to do that? <laughs> the willing to do that part, gotcha. All right, well, how do I play red light, green light? I gotta turn this one on. How do I play red light, green light? You can shout it out. So say green light I go, red light I stop. That's it? First person. So that lets me know there's probably multiple people because I have no idea how to play it. I mean, I don't even know what it looks like. <laughs> We're playing recess rules. <laughs> All right. So, so if I'm playing red light, green light, and someone were to tell me, how would you describe the game to me? I start at a line, so it's going to be this pew is the line, and I run to the other line. I'm going to do it up here. I don't want to go running up there. Someone will trip me. Got a lot of enemies on this side right here. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go when I hear green light. Okay, so, I, so who's, who's playing with me? Okay, so red light, I stop. So red light, I stop. I'm smart enough to figure that out. So on a red light, I stop. Green light, I go. So my goal is to get to the finish line. Is that correct? Before the other people. Okay, so there's multiple people with me? Okay, so who's saying red light, green light? Anybody standing by can do this? There's a person down the other end down here. So I'm assuming on the other side of the finish line, you mean? Oh, that person is the finish line. Wow, that really plays into the sermon well. Okay, so, so, now, so now we have a person standing here. They are the finish line, right? And they're the ones saying red light, green light. When they say red light, we stop. When they say green light, we go. Okay, so it's just a race? Hold on. Okay. Oh, oh, so there's an element of a reset. So if I mess up, so if I stutter and, and fall, then I got to go back. Cheaters go back. How do I cheat? Oh, okay. Is the, is the person over here staring straight at me? They are. Okay. I wasn't, I honestly have no idea how to play this. The closest I got to this was on a Netflix movie that I shouldn't tell you, and they killed people when they messed up. So, and then the winner changes persons. It's something about an octopus or something. Anyway, so, so here we go. Um, that, what did y'all just do to me? You gave me an education on what? Red light, green light. You didn't just educate me. Now, what if someone came up and said, Brother Tony, I really want you to be successful at red light, green light. And I'm going to coach you up on all the secrets that I know on how to be good at red light, green light, because I've won a lot of matches in red light, green light. Would that be you, Katie? Would you raise me up to make me a great champion of red light, green light? Could you do that? 
would you take me under your wing and show me your ways? So, in Christianity, we call this discipling. Or we just call it, I'm coaching them up on red light, green light now. So, how do you coach someone up when it comes to Christianity? How do you do that? Because that's what we're talking about. We talked about discipleship last week. What's the, what's the vision of this church? Y'all say it. Say it. Say it out loud. Making disciples that'll make disciple makers. Right. And then the mission is to know them, to grow, to go, and to show others how to be Christ-like. So that showing others how to be Christ-like is the big part of discipleship. So that's what we're looking at today. So, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in, we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit here, but we're going to start off in John chapter 4. A story about discipleship. A story about making disciples that make disciple makers is right here. And most of the time we get this passage and we look at it and I'd preach out of it from a different angle and a different perspective. But today we're going to look at it from a disciple making perspective. So there's a woman. She's at a well. Jesus sends his people the first 29 verses I'm going to talk about and sum up for you, but it'll probably take longer than if I just read them. So Jesus sends his disciples away. There's a woman who's digging up, digging up water, scooping up Dipping up water from a well. I was like, I know scooping up, that might be the right one. She's ladling up water. Anyway, so she's at the well. It's the middle of the day. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, why don't you give me a drink of water? She, and this is all from the TCV version, the Tony Campanelli version. And she said, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and we don't get along. And then... He starts talking to her, and they have this whole little dialogue. In that dialogue, he realizes that, or he tells her, doesn't realize it, he's realized it from the foundation of the world. He tells her, hey, you don't have a husband. You've been married a bunch of times, and the guy that you're shacking up with now, he ain't your husband either. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about it. So, So now, she's like, oh, hmm. Clearly, I see that you're some sort of prophet right here. So he goes on and he starts dropping biblical truth on her. When the biblical truth gets dropped on her, he then says, one day we're all going to worship together. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth. She goes, wow. And the disciples show back up. And they show up and they're like, Jesus, you're talking to some woman over here. She leaves. She goes back to town. They're talking to him. She goes into town and she tells the town, come and meet a man that told me everything about my life. And that's where we're going to be picking up right now. We're going to be picking up on verse 28, chapter 4 of John. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city... And said to the men, notice who she only talks to. She only talks to guys. That might be why she'd been married a fistful of times. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? 
Then they went out, to the, out of the city and came to him. Mm. So they went out of the city and they come to Jesus. The thing I want you to do today, because I'm going to teach you how to make disciples that will make disciple makers, but you got to do it because you are called to do it. Why do we make disciples? It's our job as a believer. All right. We got to get away from a Christianity that's comfortable sitting in a pew because discipleship doesn't really happen when you come and you listen to the preacher talk for 30 minutes. Some days you're lucky and it's only 18 minutes or something like that. You don't get discipled there, and you don't do a whole lot of discipling through that, but the ultimate goal of what we are called to do as believers is to make disciples, which means you have to have an interaction with somebody else. And as uncomfortable as that is, that has to happen. Not just an interaction, talking about hunting, fishing, cars, trucks, you know, TV shows, football, all that kind of stuff, LSU, losing, whatever. Anyway... It doesn't have to happen about that. It has to happen about what? Jesus. The Bible. God. A biblical topic is what it needs to take place on. A topic that will draw people closer to Christ is what discipleship has to be about. Not red light, green light. That's not true biblical discipleship. Although it would be fun, Katie. Although it would be fun. So... I want you to be able to walk away from here today feeling like you have a little bit of something so you're able to go out and make disciples out of somebody. Now, are you with that? You okay with that? Shake your head no if you're not going to do this. And I'm going to tell you you're unbiblical and you need to repent of that. So hopefully nobody in here is unbiblical and you need to repent of being unbiblical because you are willfully saying, I'm not going to do the one thing that the Lord commanded me to do like five times within the Bible. So, that's what we're called to be as a church. So, you ready? Here we go. First thing is, oh, you invite someone into a conversation. First thing is, you got to be willing to invite them, right? If I'm going to disciple somebody... I've got to get them to engage me in a conversation. So the invitation. So if you're taking notes, number one, invitation. So the invitation is critical because without the invitation, you're just going to be preaching at people. And they might get something from you, but they're not actually going to be able to have a back and forth with you. And the discipleship is only going to be there as long as they are listening or around Hmm. can only last week I said you can only disciple folks who want to be discipled so looking at this thing the invitation did Jesus invite this woman into a conversation that we just talked about the woman at the well yeah when he walked up and he said hey give me a drink please in his vernacular it would have been please or in his culture that started a conversation. Anybody can do a normal conversation. Icebreakers. Hey, sure is hot out here. Woo! It's not going to be as hot as it is in hell, though. Right? That, that's a good... It's an ice break. No, it's an ice melter, not an ice breaker. So, I'm not saying 
I'm not giving you evangelism. I'm giving you discipleship, though. So get them involved in a conversation. In that conversation, you've got to be willing to veer it to the spiritual at some point. How do you get it to go to the spiritual without feeling like you're preachy? Because that's why y'all avoid evangelism. Because it feels, I feel like I got preached to them. And I don't want to sit there and yell at them and be like, you're going to die and go to hell. I don't want to feel like that. So what do you do? I'm not smart enough to give them reasons. And I've heard all the excuses from people on why they don't do evangelism. I've been evangelism director multiple years in different associations. And all of the reasons sound the same of why people don't do it. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. Fear of rejection. I don't know what to say. Um, Whatever. I don't want to be too preachy. It's a big one. The ultra spiritual, I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. What about if you just dive in to that conversation and you let them start it? Conversation isn't going to be a one-time thing. If you're truly discipling somebody, it's not going to be over 25 minutes and that's it. It's not a one and done is what I'm getting at. So there's an invitation to keep a conversation going. Not just to start a conversation, but to keep that conversation going. That's what you got to do. The invitation. So when the invitation comes to somebody, when Jesus gives this invitation, how does this woman respond at the well? How she respond at the well? How she do that? <laughs> I can't believe you're talking to me. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. I'm a woman. You're a man. I don't know if we need to be having this conversation. He gets the defenses right away. He starts the conversation. She throws out the defense mechanisms. Right? I don't know if we really want to have this conversation with me. Right? So then what does Jesus do to disarm her? He starts talking about stuff. And then he goes the spiritual route. Does she engage him on the spiritual stuff? Yeah. She does. And she tells him... Her understanding of what's going on in the spiritual stuff. Let me put it to you this way. When you start to engage someone in a conversation, sometimes you got to listen to what their understanding is of the spiritual stuff. Is it going to be right? It could be. Maybe it's not. One of the biggest mistakes I see people making today is we're unwilling to correct bad theology and bad doctrine when it comes to someone telling us what they believe. And we just kind of go, oh, okay, 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 all right. And then we walk away and we go, that was really wrong in everything I've ever understood the Bible to be. Or, even worse, you go, well, maybe they're right. Huh. And then you just go off. 
And now your faith has been weakened because they're saying plainly <laughs> aliens from the planet Xenos are going to come and take your soul up to a place called paradise one day and they're going to destroy the earth. And you're like, that ain't in the Bible. But they convince you to actually make a shipwreck of your faith. We saw that last week in what Paul was talking about in one of our Wednesday night studies. So the invitation has to come at some point on some level. And you've got to be willing to listen to where they're at spiritually. Because can you truly have a conversation if you don't know what perspective or what spiritual background they got or what spiritual baggage they're carrying? Can you? You can talk at them, but then you're kind of preachy, right? You need to become a preacher and do that on a Sunday morning like me. What you need to be willing to do is hear them out, understand what they understand, and use that as your starting point to build from. Now, that's the first eye. What is it? The invitation. Invite them into a conversation. The second one, the second word, is also an I. It's invest. Invest your time spiritually in them. What's that mean? Invest into them. Kind of one of the little buzzwords that has been going around for about, mm, I don't know, probably a decade. And I'm not, it just sounds weird. You know, they really pour into me. You ever hear that before? You know, I need someone that I can pour into and I need to be poured in by someone. What's the visual there? A container, a pitcher that gets poured into to make it full so that it in turn can go pour into something else. You're connected to the stream of living water. Who are you going to invest into? Now, if I start talking investment, some of y'all are like, yeah, stock market's been getting killed and I'm losing my retirement and I was up like 12% at one point and now I'm down 9%. That's what you think of when I say investment. But what happens when you take a dollar and you put it in a bank? What happens with that dollar if you leave it in the bank for a year? It's going to gain what? Interest at whatever the interest rate is. What happens if the following week you put another dollar in there? Now your interest starts to do what they call compounding. And eventually that interest will be making interest. Same thing when you're making disciples. You go, you get involved with that person who is willing to keep an ongoing spiritual conversation with you going. And now you're investing in them. Well, what is that? It means you're going to come up with stuff that you're going to be talking about. All right. Discipleship. And let me throw this out here real fast. Discipleship isn't taking Christian people and making them smarter through the Bible studies and through Bible college and through all this other stuff. That can be discipleship and it can be a part of discipleship, but that is not discipleship. The church has been so stupid for so many years. Yeah, I said the churches have been stupid for so many years because we think that Bible study 
is discipleship. But it's not. How do I invest into someone so that they'll have that relationship with me and be allowed to, or allow me to disciple them? How do I, how do I get that going? I got to have points of interest that we have in common. If you don't know where to start, figure this one out. This is always a good one. Everybody has an idea about this. Everybody that's outside of church, you can disciple people in church or outside of church. We get a couple rows that sit right here, typically. They're all out with sickness right now. They make it their job to disciple people at work. They call me up and they're like, man, pray for this dude. I was just talking to him in the parking lot for like 40 minutes. And we have a saying around, around some of the men's group and stuff. It's, woe be to the man that gets stuck in the parking lot with Josh. <laughs> but I love him because he does it out of love and care for other folks. And I brag on him all the time because you want to know what his common ground is with folks. And he's not here so I can talk about him so he won't get embarrassed. His common ground is saying, hey, you can't be so far from God that you were ever worse than me. And let me tell you how bad I was and how far from God I was. Let me tell you what I've done because I want you to understand I'm coming here with open arms and I'd rather hug you than throw stones at you. I'm not here to preach at you. I'm here to tell you that Jesus changed my life and he loves me and he died for me. And without him, I'd go to hell. And I'm concerned that you would have an eternal separation from God as well. And I want you to know him like I know him. That's the conversation that he has in the parking lot at work with folks that he has in the break room. Some of them respond, some of them don't. Your own sin is a starting point as an investment into others. But the problem is, so many people are so proud to admit what their sin is or to even mention it. We like to keep it vague and generic and say, I'm a sinful person. I got my issues, I got my struggles. But the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, I struggle. I do some little things here and there, and that's wrong of me. But we'll never come out and say, I'm an arrogant jerk, and my wife had to call me out on the platform this morning, literally, because of my own pride. Y'all got to see that one play out in front of your eyes. God convicted me of that. I can admit my flaws, I can admit my sin. And hopefully that makes other people go, if he struggles, then what I'm going through with all these feelings of superiority, inferiority, of this, of that, of being nervous, of being shy, of being angry, of being bitter, of being a gossip, of being whatever it is, a, a womanizer, a, a, a fornicator, uh, whatever it is, I got something in common with this guy because 
He's going to be an open book and show me. When you go to a bank to see what they can invest in or what they are going to do for you, they'll give you portfolio options, right? They'll say, well, this is what we've done here, and this is what we can do here, and this is what we can do here. When you disciple people, you say, I'm an open book. I've got flaws and I've got issues. And it's always going to be on the table for you to point at and discuss and ask me how I got through that or how I'm getting through that because I ain't perfect yet. I've been perfected by the one who loved me and gave himself up for me, but I'm not perfect yet. Now, that's discipleship. Discipleship is not Bible study. It's not knowing how to say love in Greek and Hebrew. Discipleship comes when you make that investment. So what do you have to invest into a person? Obviously time. Obviously it's going to cost you vulnerability, I guess. You're going to have to be open is what it's going to cost you. Most people get turned off at discipleship right there. You can't. You cannot. You better find another way then. Because it is your job to make disciples. Period. 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 Exclamation point. Should have done exclamation points from the get-go. That's your job. Not to sit in church on Sundays and go, well, I'm being discipled and I'm making disciples by being here. No. Your job is at the workplace. Your job is at church in the Sunday school class. Your job is at your kids' ball games, your grandkids' ball games, whatever. That's where disciples can be made and relationships can be made. The investing takes place. Timothy is told about by Paul from this. Timothy... Uh, Used to know where Timothy was in my Bible. <laughs> I was looking at the wrong one. All right. So Timothy, and I read this one last week, 2 Timothy, in the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Commit these to faithful men. Teach others so that they can teach others. That's going to be the last I. So we have invite, invest, and the last one, I had, to, I had to work to make this one, empower. Some of y'all that don't know how to spell don't think it's funny. Some of y'all that do know how to spell think I'm an idiot. All right, so empower, it's empower. So some of y'all are, you're just an idiot regardless. It doesn't take you spell. That's what Jared was saying. Yeah. <laughs> So empower folks. What are you empowering them to do? You are empowering them to do what you just did with them. This doesn't matter if you're 17 or if you're 70. Anywhere in between those ages or outside those ages. You can make disciples. Here's how you empower others to make disciples. Hey, I've been investing in you now for four months for six months, for two weeks. It's time for you 
to start trying to train others to be disciples of Christ. What's it mean to be a disciple? Your life is going to look more biblical. I want to train you now. Now I'm going to become a mentor to you and a discipler so that you can make disciples of others. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to challenge you to catch two fish. You notice Jesus called the apostles and so many of them were fishermen. Think about that. He could have gone into the synagogue one day and he could have said, you, you, you and you come follow me. And these rabbis would have followed him. He could have gone to the Sanhedrin and called Pharisees to follow him. And some of them would have. He could have done that. But who did he go to? A carpenter, right? He wasn't a theologian by any street. He didn't go to the the school of uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. He didn't go there. Where did he go? He was a carpenter. He learned, fix this chair, make it work. Sand it down. File it. That's what he worked on, creating things. He went to who? Fishermen. Guys who were used to being on surfaces that weren't always stable. Guys who could handle the storms of life when they came at him. Guys who were used to trying to throw something out there that had nothing in it and pull it back up, sometimes with one fish or no fish or 50 fish. That's who he called. He, then he said, follow me and I will make you legalist churchgoers, right? Fishers of men. I will make you Fishers of men. And so often we're afraid because we don't like evangelism and it's scary and I I get it. But it's nothing to disciple folks. So let me be open and honest with you because I don't want you to think I'm a hypocrite. I am bad at disciple making. I am bad at it. You want to know why? Because I can be inconsistent. Ask my kids. Am I inconsistent, Sam, Tilly, Joe? You see those heads and the eyes. Well, you guys can't see. I can be inconsistent. And you know what that means? That inconsistency opens me up to vulnerability when it becomes disciple-making time. And I got a life that goes on. But success happens when you take your life and you start using it to make disciples. Where do you spend most of your time? Some of y'all are going to say at home. If you can use the internet, you can make disciples. Some of you, where do you spend the second most time? At work, at ballparks, in a parking lot. Waiting on practice to end. Use those moments for discipleship. Does that mean you're always talking to somebody? No. But you can research the stuff 
that they're going to want to talk about. Let me throw this at you, too, to give you some hope. You can disciple most people, and you don't have to know about all sorts of end times prophecy. You can disciple people without being a Ph.D. in Bible studies. You can disciple people by being open, honest, and real with them and telling them you want to be biblical. You can be open with them and be like, hey, I've messed up as a mom multiple times. And there have been times where I went to bed crying because I was such a failure at it. There's been times when as a, as a husband, I felt totally inadequate and I couldn't do anything. And I felt like I wasn't providing for my family or I wasn't able to do the most simple things that I needed to do that most guys already knew how to do, but I didn't because I'm a Yankee. Oh, sorry, got personal on that one. If you will be transparent with folks, vulnerable with folks, you can disciple folks. But you've got to be one thing. You've got to be one thing above those, and that's biblical. So right now, maybe you're sitting there going, you know what? I'm really not that biblical. <laughs> then you've got to be discipled more. There are some folks in here who are thinking, I don't need to make disciples, and I don't need anyone to disciple me. Then there's another church for you somewhere. Because if that's you, I don't want you here. And I'm saying that as your pastor in love. Because if, if we can't disciple you, then there's no sense on you being here. Because our job as the church is to make disciple makers that will make disciples. You can go somewhere else and be comfortable and play the country club game. It's fine with me. I will still love you. I will pray for you. But for you to sit there and say, nope, not my thing, then Jesus ain't your thing. And if Jesus ain't your thing, then you probably need to get right with the Lord. You need to get saved. I'll just go ahead and say that. So where is your heart this morning? Is it on, Lord, help me be a better disciple maker? Lord, help me be discipled so I can help make disciples. Or is it, Lord, I don't know what this preacher's talking about. This has been a waste of my time, but I honestly believe that he's, he's serious about it, and I want to know what he knows. I want to know you like he knows you. And if that's your prayer, then get with me, because I want you to know how I know him. I want you to know him like I know him. I want you to be able to look in the mirror and say, Lord, I am not perfect, but I have been perfected by your son. And I love you enough to try. I love you enough to let your spirit 
lead me into the hard things and the hard conversations so that I can be more effective for you. 